So Matthew chapter 14, we're going to pick up our study in verse 13. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard it, that is, he heard uh, of the death of John the Baptist, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself, and his disciples went with him also, as we're going to see. But when the multitude heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And, he, and they said to him, We have only five loaves and two fish, and we took that from a kid. No, that's not what it says, but we're going to see that in the gospel. Um, he said, We only have five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, Bring them here to me. And he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and two fish and looked up to heaven. He blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. So if you're here, I'd like to uh, welcome everybody, but if you're new to Calvary Chapel, a special welcome to you. On Sunday mornings, we're studying through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been taking a leisurely pace through the Gospel because we want to look at every aspect of Jesus' life and ministry in order that we might learn all that we can about Him and all that we can from Him. Now, the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000, uh, which we're looking at today, you need to understand that that number, 5,000, doesn't take into account the women and children that were present that day. The total amount of people that were present that day, taking into account the women and children, is, it's estimated to be somewhere between 10 to 20,000 people. And this is the only miracle. This is the only miracle other than Jesus' resurrection that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And that's significant. Somehow, when God looks at His Word, when he, when he looks at the Bible, when someone picks up the Bible to read and, and they read through the Gospels, God wants them to read about this event. He wants them to know and become familiar with this great miracle. And that understanding should immediately grab our attention as believers. In verse 13, it says, When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. And this is something that I don't want you to miss. You know, you might want to underline it in your Bibles. As we follow our Lord's life and trying to learn all that we can from His example, we see that He's constantly taking time to get alone with the Father where He can pray. Whether it's alone on a mountaintop, you know, or taking a boat across the Sea of Galilee, or if it's going off to, into the wilderness, Jesus was constantly, continually getting alone by Himself so he could seek the Father. Luke's gospel tells us that often he went into the wilderness to pray. You know, it was a regular practice of the Lord. Mark's gospel, Mark 1.35 says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, meaning before you know everyone else was awake, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Luke 6.12 tells us, that the night that Jesus, uh, night before Jesus chose his 12 disciples, he prayed through the entire night up there on the mountain. Jesus had this huge decision, this big decision he had to make. So he took the night and he withdrew just himself and the Father. He took the entire night 
to seek the heart of the Father. How important do you think it is that we follow Jesus' example that he sets for us here in regards to seeking the Father in prayer? I think that's a question we need to, to consider. How important do you think it is? Not only did Jesus depart by himself to seek the Father, but we also see that he gets away many times with the disciples to seek the Father in prayer. We see it on the Mount of Transfiguration where the Father was preparing the Son for what he would face there at Mount Calvary. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him up on Mount Hermon. Why? To pray. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus, Jesus was arrested and crucified, you know what? He went into the garden to pray. And who did he take with him? Well, he took all of the disciples, but he took Peter, James, and John further into the garden and asked them to pray with him. Jesus said, watch and pray lest you, what? Do you know? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, it's needful for us. It's necessary for us to spend time in prayer where we're watching, where we're aware of the things, of the events that are happening around us. And here we see Jesus seeking to teach the disciples the necessity of getting alone to pray. And Jesus said to the disciples in the same account recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while. You know, friends, it's so necessary. It's so needed for us to take time away from the hustle and bustle, you know, the long work days, the busy and hectic schedules that we have that that we make time where we can get alone with the Father. It's vitally important to our walk. I truly believe that the Lord would have us prioritize time where we would also gather together for corporate prayer. You know, Saturday is a night we've set aside for a time of prayer, seeking the Father's heart for the church. And it's a blessing and it's a joy to gather together and pray for the body. And, and I want to exhort you as strongly as I possibly can to make Saturday night prayer a priority if you call Calvary Chapel Truckee your home church. Not because I'm counting heads and, you know, I want big numbers at a prayer meeting. You know, that's not me. The reason I want to exhort you is because I believe you're missing out on blessings that the Lord would have for you. Missing out on being used by God to facilitate, you know, the, the ministry that He wants to take place in this church. And I'm not saying this to shame anyone, but you know what? I'm saying it to be an encouragement. You know what? Because I'm a shepherd, and my heart for the sheep is to see that they enjoy the fullness of blessing that God has for each one of them. You know what? It's needed for us to find time both individually and corporately where we get alone with the Father, where we can seek His heart for His direction for our lives, for our walks with Him, for our marriages, for our families, to seek His heart for our church, to seek His heart on how He would have us reach out to this town of Truckee for His glory, right? I believe that this is a word from the Lord for us as a church. I truly believe it. If we will seek His face, He promises He will answer us and show us great and mighty things which we do not know. You know, I think for some of us, there's a certain degree of frustration with our Christianity. Gary, why am I not experiencing the Christianity I read about in the Bible? Why is it that I'm not seeing the Lord working in my life? 
You know, why is it I'm not experiencing the blessing in my life that I see in other people's lives? Why is it I grow frustrated so easily? Why is it I get depressed so easily? Why is it I don't do the things I want to do and I do the very things that I don't want to do? Why is that? Why is it that I'm, that I'm not doing the things that I know I should be doing? Why is it that God isn't answering my prayers? Could it be because you're not spending surrendered time in prayer before the Lord? You know, you're lacking time just sitting submitted to the Lord in prayer. You know, you're not setting aside time for the Lord to speak to you, to speak to you His heart. You're not setting time aside where you're quiet before the Lord, ready to receive, ready to obey whatever it is He would say to you. Could it be that you haven't made prayer a priority in your life where God can work those things into your life? For some of us, we've been taught on the subject of prayer and taught and taught and taught on prayer. We've heard sermon after sermon on prayer. We've read books on prayers. Our friends have told us how good prayer has been in their lives. But we just lack the discipline of getting alone with the Father and seeking Him. Getting alone with the Father and praying. And I'm not talking, you know, about getting out a checklist. You know, Lord, I need this and I need this. And I want that, and I want that, amen. You know, I don't know what that is, but it's not the type of prayer that I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about getting alone with the Father and worshiping Him. Thanking Him for all that He's done for you. Blessing Him because He's been so good, so merciful, so gracious to you. Giving Him glory because He's glorious. Giving Him praise because He's worthy of all our praise. Right? I'm talking about seeking His face and asking Him to reveal His heart to you regarding the things that are on His heart. Hearing from Him. Right? Prayer is a discipline. It's something that we have to decide that we're going to to uh, give priority to in our life. You, you, you need to make time for it in your schedule. I can honestly tell you, since we moved up here, I'm busier than I've ever been. Uh, there are more demands on me now, uh, probably more than there's ever been. And I've had to reevaluate what can and cannot be in my life right now. You know, the things that are necessary and things that I have to let go. But one thing that I will never neglect in my life is prayer. When can I get alone with the Father? That's always on my heart. It's a priority in my life because without it, I'm a total mess. <laughs> life is so much worse without that time being with the Father. You know, it's one thing in my life that's the most important, the most valuable, the most needed. I cannot, I will not neglect it. I wake early in the morning. You know, before I do anything, I grab my, my, uh, I grab my coffee, I grab my Bible, and I spend time, meaningful time <clears throat> with the Lord. You know, Martin Luther, if you know anything about Martin Luther, I mean, Martin Luther was a busy guy. I think the year his daughter died, he wrote 273, I think it was, major religious treatises, right? And Martin Luther says, Martin Luther said, I have so much to do that I must spend the first three hours each day in prayer. Maybe the Lord would speak to you this morning and challenge you regarding your prayer life. That's my hope. That's my prayer. What if you spent the same amount of time 
talking and listening to your spouse that you spend talking and listening to the Lord. What would your marriage look like? Right? Maybe the Lord would speak to you this morning that you need to discipline yourself and make time for Him. <clears throat> it takes time to get alone with Him. Well, in verse 13, when Jesus heard it, He departed from there by boat to a deserted place by Himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed Him on foot from the cities. And you might want to take note of that word cities, right? Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus <clears throat> boards a small boat on the uh, west side of the Sea of Galilee. And he's departing to a city called Bethsaida. It's on the, the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is much like, the, uh, like Lake Tahoe. You know, it's only 8 miles wide, 13 miles long. So when a boat was crossing the Sea of Galilee, you could watch it from the shore that it came from, and you could see where it was going, and especially in this case, departing from the north shore and going to the northeast tip of the, the lake to the city of Bethsaida. You know, so Jesus, he hops into this boat, he heads up to Bethsaida, and the multitude that are on the shore, they watched where it you know, he was going where the boat was going, and they started to make their way around the, the Sea of Galilee. And as they were going around the sea, going through one city after another, you know, it was almost like a snowball effect, right? The people see this crowd going through their town, and they ask, hey, where are all you guys going? And they would uh, answer, you know, we're going to see Jesus of Nazareth. And they'd point out to the boat that was there on the lake. And the crowd just grew and grew in size. And by the time Jesus got to Bethsaida, right, the multitudes were waiting for him. <clears throat> in verse 14, when Jesus went out, when he got out of the boat, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them. And he healed their sick. And I just love this description about Jesus we keep reading. It never gets old for me, right? You just have to love Jesus for this. It doesn't say that he was irritated with the people. It doesn't say that, you know, he says, geez, don't these people know I need a break? Don't they know that I need to get alone with the Father? Right? What am I going to do? They won't give me a minute's peace. No, that's not what it says. It doesn't say that Jesus is frustrated with them, that he's tired of them. You know, what does it say? It says that he was moved with compassion for them. And you don't want to miss this. Although the scriptures, all through the scriptures, our Lord always had time for hurting people. He always had time for those in need of help. We never see Jesus frantically rushing about in a panic. Just stay right here until I have time. You know, I'll get right back to you. No, he always had time for hurting and needy people. I look at my life and I'm busy. You know, it never seems like I have enough uh, time in my day to get everything done that I need to get done, you know. And maybe you can relate. I'm always trying to balance, you know, my, my study time in the Word, you know, with, you know, making decisions and praying for the church, you know, trying to balance all of that with my family and having time for them, trying to spend quality time with Tina. You know, it just doesn't seem to be enough hours in the day for me. But Jesus, as busy as he was, he always had time for those in need of him, right? How that ministers to me. If you're hurting this morning, if you're in need this morning, if you're sick this morning, if you're hungering this morning, the Lord is aware of you. The Lord wants to meet you this morning. He really does, right? Throughout the Gospels, it seems that wherever there was a hurting or needy person, 
Jesus always went to them, right? A whole synagogue full of people, and there's one man with a withered hand, and Jesus gravitates towards that person, right? Jesus is always attracted to the person who's hurting the most, to the one who has the greatest need. And if you're hurting this morning, and if you're in need of Jesus this morning, in need of an encouraging word from Him, in, needing, in need of a touch from Him this morning, the Lord desires to minister to you this morning, right here, right where you're sitting. He is wanting to have compassion on you this morning. I pray, open your heart to that this morning. That is the Lord's word to you this morning. Mark's gospel not only says Jesus was moved with compassion, but Mark goes on to give us a little more insight. Mark says, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. What does that tell you about how Jesus saw the multitude there that day. He saw them as lost, right? They had a name that they were alive, but they were dead, right? They had the name of Judaism. They had the name of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had the name and heritage of King David, right? They had great forefathers, yet they were dead. They were lost, each one going their own way, living meaningless, futile lives, unproductive, unfruitful lives. And Jesus looked at them and they looked to him as being sheep without a shepherd. What about you this morning? Where are you this morning? How is the Lord looking at you this morning? Does he see you as a, a sheep without a shepherd? You know, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He went on to say, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And what Jesus is talking about there is an intimate relationship. It's intimacy. What about you this morning? Are you part of his flock? Are you hearing his voice? I'm not asking you, hey, do you go to church? You know, that's not it. I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. Well, you know, Gary, I've been raised in a Christian family. You know, I, I went to Christian camp as a kid. I attended every youth group, right? I've been confirmed. Certainly that counts for something. No, what I'm asking you this morning is, are you hearing the Lord's voice? Do you know Jesus in an intimate way? Are you a follower of him this morning is your life given over to him is jesus the lord and master of your life jesus said my sheep hear my voice and i know them and i give them eternal life and they shall never perish have you received eternal life paul said second corinthians 9 15 thanks be to god for his indescribable gift. And Paul is speaking about the indescribable gift of salvation, of eternal life. Have you received that gift? Are you a recipient of eternal life? It is true that Jesus died for the sins of the world there at Calvary, but have you received that? It's like having a check made out into your name. Pay to the order of, and there's your name, the sum of eternal life. But that check, like all checks, it doesn't do you any good until you take it, until you endorse it, until you deposit it into your account. If you fail to do that, the money behind the check isn't yours. Has that taken place? Have you entered the flock of God? And maybe you have. But as you think about it this morning, you know, you realize, if you're honest, you realize that you're actually on the fringe, right? You're on the outside looking in. 
Maybe you realize that you haven't fully surrendered your life to Him. You know, you're still trying to maintain control of part of your life. You know, when, you, when He's speaking, you're not really interested in listening. You know, whatever the case is, the Lord looks upon you with compassion. He wants to touch your life and heal you this morning. You know, the prophet Isaiah looked down the road towards Jesus and said, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. You know, he's saying that, you know, we're all doing our own thing, right? And he goes on and he says, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus bore our sins in his body. And it's as we place our faith in him that we receive eternal life, forgiveness of our sins, spiritual healing. Mark's gospel goes on to say, not only was Jesus filled with compassion and healed their sick, but Mark adds the insight that Jesus taught them. It's interesting to me, Matthew records that Jesus was moved with compassion and healed them, but Mark says not only did Jesus heal them, but he also taught them. This morning, the Lord wants to teach us. This morning, He wants to teach you. Whatever your knowledge is of the Lord, right, from an unbeliever to the most seasoned saint, the Lord wants to teach you and draw you into a deeper relationship with Him, a deeper walk with Him than you already have. He wants to reveal Himself to you in a greater way. Jesus said, Not on, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who's in the bosom or is in the heart of the Father. He has declared or revealed Him. People ask me all the time, you know, hey, what's God like? What's the Father like? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. Jesus came to teach us about the Father, how to enter into a meaningful relationship with the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> well, not only was Jesus moved with compassion for the people, not only did He heal the sick and teach them, we read in verse 15, when it was evening, when the disciples came to Him, uh, the, His disciples came to Him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the village and buy themselves food. Now what a contrast between Jesus' compassion on the people and the attitude of the disciple. Right? The disciples, the followers of Christ, I mean, they represent us. And honestly, I confess, you know, so often they sound like the way I sound. <clears throat> Lord, send them away. There are too many. They're hungry and I can't meet their need. I don't have the resources necessary to meet their needs. Lord, send them away. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. It's interesting that John's gospel gives us the insight that it was at this time Philip spoke up and said, Lord, even if we had 200 denarii, six months wages, that wouldn't be enough to feed this many people. <clears throat> Excuse me. That was Philip's grasp of great things. That was the extent of his thinking. Jesus, six months wages wouldn't be enough. It's going to take a whole lot more than that, Jesus. Do you understand? At this point, it's Andrew that brings this young boy to Jesus, John's gospel tells us. And in verse 17 we read, And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. John's gospel tells us that it was Andrew that brought this young boy to Jesus who had the five barley loaves and two small fish. And it was Andrew that made the great statement of faith saying, But what are they among so many? Right? How can this little bit make a difference among 
the thousands and thousands of people that are here. As you look at this story, where do you see the eyes of the disciples? What are the disciples looking at, right? Their eyes are on the physical. Philip is thinking, if we had six months wages then, no, no, not even then. That, that couldn't do anything. Andrew said, we have five loaves and, and two small fish, but even that wouldn't be enough for so many people. It's just not going to work. Again, if you're like me, my eyes are so often on the physical. So often my eyes are on the situation. They're on the circumstance. I think to myself, it's never going to work. Right? So often I'm thinking of my own resources and I realize it's not enough in light of the need. So many times the Lord has spoken to my heart encouraging me to get my eyes off the circumstances and look to Him. You know, I can remember before our family moved to, to Hungary, you know, I can remember wondering how I was going to support my family financially. And the Lord very clearly, very clearly spoke to my heart and said, Gary, do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? And of course I said, yes, Lord, I, I believe that. And He said to me, then go and I'll provide for you. People told me, you know, sometimes they resulted in arguments even, but people told me I was being irresponsible. How would I take care of my family? And all I could tell them was that the Lord told me to go and not to worry about raising support. He would take care of us. And He did. Fifteen years on the mission field, the Lord took care of us. When we returned to the States, you know, a pastor at Calvary Chapel Saving Grace was asking me to move to Orange County to take part of the work there, be a more integral part of the work. And in, in my mind, I just couldn't imagine how I was going to leave, you know, uh, working for the Army as a health care provider and move to Orange County and make ends meet, um, especially in a place like Orange County. I mean, it's expensive there. And then the Lord opened the door for us to move up here. You know, and it's every bit as expensive to live here as it seems it is in Orange County. And God has given us a house. You know, I never imagined that we would ever own a house. If, if you would have told me that we would own a house and pastor a church in California, I would have laughed in your face and said, that's crazy talk. It's impossible. There's no way. It's ludicrous. And I'm not talking about the rapper, right? It's just been amazing to see the Lord work far beyond anything that I could have ever imagined. God is greater than our circumstances. You know what? We need to view our circumstances through the lens of God Almighty instead of seeing God through the lens of the circumstances that we're powerless to overcome. You know what? It's so great to be a Christian, right? The world around us, it can be so boring and unexciting. And the reason is, we're wired by God, programmed by God to live a life of faith, to trust in the Lord. So many people in the world, they're trying to fill that void. They're trying to fill that lack of excitement with something that's never going to satisfy them. They're trying to experience some excitement in their life through fleshly endeavors, partying, you know, drinking, sexual encounters, doing dangerous things, wild things, trying to make money. You know, it's never going to meet the need. Being a Christian is the most exciting life a person can live. Living by faith, being led by the Holy Spirit, watching Him bring things about in His timing and for His glory. It's the most incredible thing. You know what? Christianity is not boring. It's an incredible walk that we're called by God to, right? If you feel that way, that Christianity is boring, you know, it's ho-hum, you know, it's nothing exciting, 
then you're not living under the direction of God. You're not living the same Christianity that I'm living. There's nothing boring about being a Christian. It's exciting to see the Lord move. At times, it's all you can do just to hold on while He's doing these amazing things. Well, it was Andrew that brought this young boy to Jesus. And don't you just love that about Andrew? I mean, Andrew's always bringing people to Jesus. You remember who else Andrew brought to Jesus? He brought Peter to Jesus, right? Right? Remember when Andrew found the Lord, he went home, he found Peter and said, I found the Lord. you got to come and meet him. And on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up and shared the Lord and 3,000 people got saved, you tell me who the most joy-filled person was that day. You know, I'll bet you it was Andrew. You know, hey, look at my brother go. Can you believe it? I remember when I led that kid to the Lord, right? And then just a week or so later, Peter got up again and he preaches and 5,000 men come to the Lord. What a joy it is when the Lord uses you to bring people to Jesus, bring people to faith in Christ. What a privilege it is, right? It's so worth it to risk reaching out to people in order to share the love of Jesus with them. Right, in order to, to share the plan of salvation with them. Don't you just love how God uses this little boy in this story too? To, you know, he uses him, his five loaves, his two small fish, to bless the multitudes, right? This little boy, God uses to bless a multitude of people. And you know what we need to learn there? What we need to see is age is not an issue with the Lord. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. God can and wants to use you to bless others. If you will turn what little you have over to the Lord, He will do great things with you. Look at what Jesus did with this young boy as an example to us of what He can do. Right? You don't want to miss it. If you will turn the little you have over to the Lord, He will use you to bless a whole multitude of people. Oh, you know, I, I, I don't have much to offer the Lord. I, I'm just a young person. You know, I'm just a nobody. I'm too old. God can't use me. Nonsense. It's not true. Yeah, I, I'm a Christian, Gary. But, you know, I, I don't have a gift like you. Listen, I'm the least gifted person of anybody I know. You know, I often say if I could teach half as well as my friends, I would be a great teacher. You know what? In my case, it's not a matter of gifting. I'm just willing and I'm available and I want to be used by God for His glory. That's all it takes. And He's opened doors for me. You know, I, I can't lead worship like Barry or Sandy does. You know, maybe not. But if you will offer the little bit that you do have, Jesus will do great things with you for His glory. He really will. Paul found that out. Now, to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. God is more than able, more than willing to do exceedingly abundantly above anything you could ever ask for or possibly ever conceive of in your mind. And I have to be honest with you. I would have never imagined what God was willing to do with us. You know, I've got to preach the gospel on three different continents and over 20 different countries. You know, I could have never imagined the places God was willing to take us to share Christ and bring many, many people to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. And believe me when I say, it has zero, absolutely nothing to do with me. 
But now, because I've experienced him doing great things on our behalf, now I'm believing, I'm thinking, and I'm asking him to do great things in our church. Right? The best days of Calvary Chapel, Truckee, are ahead of us. God has great things in store for us in, a, uh, in store for us as a church. And I want to exhort you to be part of what God is doing. He is going to do, and you can mark my words, He is going to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works within us, according to the power of the Holy Spirit that works within us. Well, Andrew says, all we have is just these five barley loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. You know what? They, um, they don't have a building to go to. You know, they were outside just like we are today. The hills of Bethsaida are just breathtaking. And you know what? It is beautiful here. We need to just always allow ourselves to take in the beauty around us. You know, it's my heart that we will always meet outside when the weather is nice. You know, meeting in the park is a public testimony to our town that reaches people who would never wander into our church. You know, week after week, I, I see people behind you walking by, stop and listen. Some stay for the entire Bible study. But what do you learn about the Lord from verse 19? He commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. What do you see here? What do you learn about the Lord here? You know what I see is that the Lord is a Lord of order. Luke's gospel tells us that he commanded the people to sit down in groups of 50. God is not the God of confusion. He's the God of order. The Corinthian church was a church that was out of control. People standing up prophesying while other people were trying to speak in tongues. All the while somebody else is trying to give a word. And believers were coming into the church and they thought they were all crazy and they wanted nothing to do with the church, right? And Paul wrote to them saying, for God is not the author of confusion. Paul goes on to say, desire earnestly to prophesy. You know, do not forbid to speak in tongues, but let all things be done decently and in order. In verse 19 then, Jesus commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fish. And don't you just love this? He, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. I mean, there's so much here. You know, first, looking up to heaven. How many of you would like to pray more during the day? How many of you would say, you know what? My prayer life is sufficient. You know, actually, I've arrived. And I don't think any of us would say that. But check this out. Three times a day you eat, right? Well, some of us probably more, I know. But, um, you know, why not take time before you eat to really stop and look up to heaven and really connect with the Lord? With a thankful heart, bless the Lord for His gracious provision for you and for, for your family. You know, I think too many Christians pray something, you know, like, you know, you've heard it, over the lips, through the gums, watch out stomach, here it comes, you know, uh, or some other main, uh, meaningless, vain repetition. You know, thank you, Lord, for this food we're about to receive. You know, bless the food, bless mom and dad, bless the dog, you know. You know, sometimes people are just in and out. You know, they're just checking a box on a list that they think, you know, that's what a Christian is supposed to do. Three times a day, we set aside time to eat. You know, take that time to look to heaven and connect with the Father. You know, you can read about a famous man of God in the 18th century. His name was 
praying Hyde. Maybe you've heard about him. You know, another man writing uh, about Pastor Hyde, praying Hyde was his nickname. But this other man writing about Pastor Hyde said, whenever you prayed with him, you felt like you were in the very presence of God. You know what? Take time to look to heaven and to enter into the presence of God. Try it this week before you eat breakfast, before you grab your coffee and toast with jelly, whatever it is you have. You know, just earnestly look towards heaven and connect with the Lord. Well, it says Jesus broke, uh, blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. John's gospel tells us instead of blessed, it says John, uh, Jesus gave thanks. That's the way John uh, records what happened. And again, what a great time during the day to earnestly, in heartfelt gratitude, to give thanks to God. What does the scripture say? How often are we to give thanks to God? In everything, for everything, and always, the Bible says, right? All of that is in contrast to worrying and doubting. So what a great time it is to stop before a meal to give heartfelt thanks to God for what He's done for us. At the very least, in the area of His provision for us, Three times a day, you can stop and just give thanks. Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation. Lord, I don't know what you're doing in this situation. But Lord, I want to thank you because you've promised to work all these things out together for my good. You know, give it a try this week. Make a commitment going forward to give heartfelt, meaningful thanks to the Lord at least three times a day, you'll be amazed what will happen. Try it this week. Pray earnestly. Connect with the Lord. You won't believe what the Lord will do in your prayer life if you will just stop and give thanks to Him. So Jesus, verse 19, says, took the five loaves, the two fish, looking up to heaven, He blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. What do you see here? He broke and he gave to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes, right? The Lord could have put it all into a basket himself and he could have handed it all out to the multitude himself, but he chose to use the disciples. He gave to them so they might give to the multitude. No matter who you are this morning, the Lord wants to use you, right? Church isn't about us coming and learning, seeing how much we can learn. You know, church isn't about quizzing one another to see who knows the most and get a, a blue ribbon, right? The reason we're here this morning is so that the pastor teacher can equip you, the saints, for what? For the work of the ministry, the church will never be anything more than you make it. God wants to use you in as much as you make yourselves available. God wants to use you. He wants to give to you so that you might in turn bless the multitudes. That you might in turn reach out and build up the body. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians that we would uh, no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You know, it grieved my heart last night. You know, we talked about and prayed for a guy that used to go to this church that's struggling in his walk with the Lord. You know, last Friday... I get a phone call from a man, you know, that's in ministry, serving in ministry. Tina and I have known their family for over 25 years. And he told me last night, four of his six kids are no longer walking with the Lord. 
Someone got to them and talked them out of their faith. You know, the Lord didn't answer their prayers the way they thought He should. And they walked away from the Lord, and now they're as far away from the Lord as you could ever imagine. You know what? We need to be men and women of the Word. We need to be diligent to present ourselves a proof to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. It's the only way to survive the false doctrine that's blowing through the church. And man, there is a lot of false doctrine blowing through the church, even in this town, right? The Lord wants to use us to do the work of the ministry. He desires to give to you so you might in turn give to others. What, is, what does it look like for you? I don't know. You've got to work that out with Him, right? But He does want to use you. He has a ministry for you. He has equipped you with gifts that are unique to you and you alone. He's given you unique capabilities, you know, talents and gifts that are unlike that which any other person has. God wants to use you. There's something else I see here. Maybe you already see it. Before the disciples could give, they had to receive. It wasn't until they received from the Lord that they had something to give. And that's a spiritual principle throughout the Bible. It's not until you take the time to receive. It's not until then that you'll have anything to give. You know, it's just amazing how it works. It's amazing how when you're receiving from the Lord, you can't wait for the opportunity to give out. You know, last week, multiple times, the Lord brought to remembrance Jeremiah and how he said that God's word was in my heart like a burning fire. God's word has a way of burning in our heart. And we just have to share it. I can't tell you how many times during my devotion time the Lord spoke something to my heart, you know. And that day the Lord used me to share that very word with other people. I can't tell you how many times I've been in church hearing the pastor teaching, hearing from the Lord, and then the Lord had me distribute that understanding to others. I mean, it's a spiritual principle. Paul said, For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. But if you don't take time to receive from the Lord, you won't have anything to give. You can't draw water from an empty well, right? If you don't uh, receive, you can't give. So the disciples first received from the Lord, then they gave to the multitudes. And in verse 20 we read, So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments that remained. What do you think, what do you think the significance of, of the 12 baskets uh, is. You know, I think it's because there's 12 apostles doing the work. And the Lord would have them know that He will always provide more than enough for them as they're giving out, right? As they're giving of themselves in the ministry, there'll be an abundance for them. You're, you don't have to worry. The laborer is worthy of his wages. It's as if Jesus was saying to the disciples, don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. Here's your very own basket, right? It's amazing how faithful the Lord has been to Tina and I. You know, I hope, you know, I mean, I can only give you examples from my life. I'd like to give examples from your life. I just don't know them yet. So in the meantime, you just got to listen to my examples. But it's so amazing how the Lord has been faithful to Tina and I. You know, oftentimes when things were really hard for us as missionaries, you know, I would take Tina and I would hold her hands and we would look around our house 
at all the things that God had given us. And we would just thank Him for His goodness to us, right? When we left to be missionaries in Eastern Europe, you know, we sold everything and we just went. You know, like I said earlier, we didn't even attempt to raise support, right? And when things were really hard, we would hold each other's hands and we would look around our house and remember the circumstances when God gave us that rug, when he gave us that chair, you know, when he gave us the beds that we were sleeping in, how he gave us that item that would seem meaningless, it seemed nothing to you as you look on it, but it was a tremendous blessing to us. You know, everything in our house has a story behind it, how God gave it to us. We would just remember his faithfulness to us and give him praise and thanks. We have so much. God has blessed us, right, beyond an abundance. He has blessed us with so much. You would think we were wealthy people. You know, it's just God's provision for us as we trusted Him to lead us in ministry. And again, it's just amazing how He's blessed us with an abundance, more than just our need, but with an abundance. And I think verse 20 is just a radical statement of encouragement to those who would choose to leave all to follow Jesus. Verse 21, Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides uh, women and children. And as I said in the introduction, the 5,000 were just the men, right, that were present and ate that day. And when you take into consideration the women and children that were present, right, there may have been as many as 20,000 people that ate that day. You know, it cracks me up. There are people, they just have a hard time with this story, right? They, they'll say, that's ridiculous. I mean, do you actually really believe this story? You know, one liberal scholar commented on the story. He said, um, do you know those little communion wafers we have? The, not like ours. Ours are like a whole slab. But yeah, I mean, those little communion wafers, you know, that we use for communion sometimes. Well, what really happened was they took these five barley loaves and they broke them up into very tiny little pieces of bread and distributed that out to the people. And that was the miracle, that those five little barley loaves could be broken into so many little pieces so that everyone could have a little piece. And they were all blessed by it. Praise the Lord. You know, it's amazing how so many people have a hard time with the miraculous. You know, they'll come up with any cockamamie story to explain it all away. You know, it all goes back to Genesis 1-1. If you can get past Genesis 1-1, I mean, you shouldn't have any problem with the rest of the Bible. You know, another guy said, I find this really comical. Really what happened then was, you know, in this day, people would carry their fish in their bread. They didn't have lunch pails, so they would carry them in their sleeves. And they would tie a band around their wrists so their lunch wouldn't fall out. And, you know, when that little boy stood up and offered his five loaves and two fish to Jesus, you know, everybody else, you know, they started getting guilty, started feeling guilty. And so they too offered their lunches from their sleeves. And pretty soon everyone was filled. And you know what? You can believe whatever you want. You can believe the sky is green, but it doesn't make it so. Right? The truth is the Lord multiplied the five barley loaves and the two fish. The Lord did it. Our Lord was really 100% man. Therefore, He understands what you're going through today. He really does. But at the same time, He was also, the Scripture tells us, 100% God. And it's in this very miracle we see His deity 
being manifest. You know, in the Gospel of John, John records seven miracles that Jesus did that manifested his deity, changing the water to wine at the wedding at Canaan, healing the noble man's son, healing the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. You know, the story we're looking at this morning, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on the water, Jesus healing um, the man who was born blind, and Jesus raising Lazarus to the, from the dead after he was dead for four days. You know, somebody might be dead for a couple minutes. You get the paddles out, clear. Nobody would paddle somebody that had been dead four days. You know, it's in John's gospel that Jesus said to Philip, Have you been with me so long, and yet you've not known me, Philip? Do you not believe that I am in the Father? And the Father in me, believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. John records these seven miracles along with seven I am statements Jesus made claiming to be God. And John tells us the reason he recorded these things. It's so that you, the reader, might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, I'm writing these things that you might see, that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that you might receive from him eternal life. Turning over the little you have to the Lord, turning over your life to Him. Have you done that? Have you done that completely and totally holding nothing back, saying, I'm yours, Jesus, all that I am, you know, all that I ever hoped to be, I'm giving you my life. I'm turning it all over to you. My sins all my sins, all my failures, along with all my hopes and all my dreams, use me for your glory. If you haven't, you know, the Lord's heart goes out to you this morning. It really does. He's moved with compassion for you this morning. Listen, the Lord loves you. If you're hurting, if you're breaking, if you're struggling, you need to hear from the Lord himself this morning. He loves you. He's trying to reveal his love to you this morning. Don't turn your back on him. As a nation, you know, we've turned our backs on him. But as an individual, don't turn your back on him. He's trying to speak to your heart this morning. Don't close your heart to him. Please don't. Turn the life you have over to him completely and totally holding nothing back. If you're on the fringe, if you haven't just entered in, you're trying to control a piece of your life. You went forward at some camp, but there's a piece of you that you're hanging on to. Surrender it today to the Lord and watch Him bless your life exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ever ask for or all that you could ever imagine. He will do it. It's really true. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for Your Word. I'm thankful for the encouragement your word brings and the exhortation your word brings. And Lord, I just want to pray for us as your bride, Lord. Maybe somebody that doesn't know you here today, somebody watching online that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would surrender their heart to you and just say, Lord, forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you were buried and resurrected. 
I believe you're God. Forgive me for my sins. Wash me clean. If you'll have me, I'll give you my life, all of it, and follow you. Lord, for maybe somebody here that has given their heart to you, maybe has been raised in a Christian family, maybe has gone to camp, maybe has been confirmed, Lord, but is not walking in, in total surrender to you today. And because of that, their life isn't what they know it should be, isn't what they hope it could be. Lord, they understand they're falling short. Lord, I pray that they too would, this morning, either here or watching online, surrender their heart afresh, a new commitment. Lord, a revival would take place in their heart this morning. And they would say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm, I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm tired of making demands upon you. I'm tired of the frustrations. Lord, show me what you want for my life. Lord, I give it to you now. Lord, I pray you would meet all of us. Lord, and draw us deeper for that person that makes a first commitment, for that person that's making a recommitment, for that person that's charging for you, Lord. Draw us deeper into your love. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.